name's Sean, and uh, it's good to be back preaching uh, before you all. It's uh, if you read the newsletter that went out, uh, I just want to say thanks again to everybody in the church for giving me uh, three months off from not having to preach, and it was a really big uh, blessing to be able to just step away from some of the. Uh, weekly grind of that to focus on some other things to be refreshed and uh, I'm glad to be back I feel uh, a little rusty uh, but hopefully that won't be a distraction and it is good just to be here with you all and it was good to have just a lot of different guest preachers which a number of you told me how much you appreciated them it was also good uh, most of you said that you didn't appreciate them too much because uh, you wanted me back or were excited for me to come back too. So that's always uh, good as well uh, to know you're wanted. Uh, well, let me, let's turn to our scripture passage today, uh, which is Philippians chapter 2, uh, Philippians chapter 2, 1 through 11. So starting in verse 1. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ... If any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. And this is God's word. Let's pray. Our Father, we ask that you would speak to us today. Lord, we ask that your Spirit would take my humble words and use them to work in each, of, each and every person's life here, Father, to build us up, to stamp your image uh, on our hearts and minds. Only you can do this, and we beg you to. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Well, I want you to imagine uh, with me living in a nation that is deeply divided. That shouldn't be too hard. <laughs> And the religious people are just as divided as everybody else. Uh, some have kind of drifted away from the religious upbringing and embraced the broader culture. Others have kind of sectioned themselves off from the rest of the culture in order to preserve and protect the purity of their religion and their culture. And these people grew up uh, being told that their nation had been founded by God and that God had blessed them. And if they would only humble themselves and return to him, he would bless them again. But now, after decades turned centuries of waiting, it seems like God had forgotten them. And the people are, are suffering out of an out-of-touch only looking after themselves government that is running everything. Every year their taxes go up. 
The government continually shows new abilities to have even more corruption than they had before and greater ineptitude in running things. And people are allowed to worship, but just as long as their worship doesn't stir up any feelings against the government. And many of the rich and the elite had made deals with that uh, ruling government that made them even richer, often at the expense of the common citizens. Now, you might not feel like you have to imagine too much of that particular scenario, but would you be surprised if I told you I was describing first century Jerusalem, not our present day? I was describing the world that Jesus was born into. And in those dark times and in the centuries before that, the people were suffering and crying out to God, have you forgotten us? Where are you? They were looking for a leader who could rise up, a conquering king who could fight the Romans, a grassroots rebel who could restore their glory, someone who could fight back against the ever-encroaching Roman government and, and put those corrupt Jewish leaders in their place. And it's at that time that God decides to bring his long-awaited Messiah into the world. But he sends him not as a conquering king, but as a humble child in a manger. He's not a savvy political operator, but a baby wrapped in cloth. Not a strong man looking to beat up anyone who opposes him, but like an infant nursing from his mother. God's solution to the corruption and evil in this world is humility. We're going to kick off here a three-part series that looks at Philippians 2, 1 through 11, called The Humility of God. And every week, I'm going to read that entire passage because it is all intertwined, but we're going to focus on a different section each week. So today, we're going to focus on uh, verses 1 through 4, and then we'll look at the next section, the next week, and the last section, the, the last week. And if you do the math, you'll realize that the last day of this series will uh, be on December 25th, uh, Christmas Day. And if, let me encourage you, if you've ever felt upset about, you know, everyone is taking Christ out of Christmas, well, there is no better way to put Christ back into Christmas than coming to worship him on Christmas Day when we wrap up this series. A key theme of Advent is humility, the humility of God. And so what I want you to remember this morning is that humility is God's answer to human power. Humility is God's answer to human power. And we're going to look at it three ways. First, the importance of humility, then the humility of God, and then our humility. So first, the importance of humility. Verse 1. This verse marks a transition from what Paul, the author of this book, wrote in chapter 1, particularly the end of chapter 1, and what he's then going to say in verses 5 through 8. And what I want you to notice is that repeated word. Did you catch it when I read it? Any. If you have any encouragement, if you have any comfort, any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness and compassion, Paul is saying that if you have been impacted by Christ in any way, it should result in this one thing. And what's that thing? Humility. Now, I've occasionally considered getting solar panels installed on our roof, like some of you have. And, you know, you go online and you look and there's all these lists of reasons that the solar companies tell you why you should get solar panels installed. Energy independence, 
huge savings, clean, renewable energy. And to some extent, all these things are true, but probably a little bit oversold by the companies. But if anything, after you get solar on your roof, your bill from Rocky Mountain Power should go down. So that if you get your next bill after putting solar panels up and your solar or your electric bill is higher, you know something has gone wrong. If there is any benefit from getting solar, any perk from having those panels, any savings to be had, it's that every month your electric bill is a lot lower, even if a chunk of that money is going off to some solar loan. And you see what our passage is saying. An essential part, if there is any benefit from knowing Christ, its humility is growing in you. So are you growing in humility? Are you growing in humility as you look around and it feels like our world is ever darker, as life gets tougher for you, as Christians feel more marginalized? Do you see humility blossoming in your life? Or are you trying to just do what the world would do, pick up the sword or go to social media to fight back and use the very same weapons the world uses to gain power? Are you putting the majority of your hope in different politicians, different Supreme Court justices, different laws, this thing or that thing? Or are you digging deeper into humility? Now, I'm not saying that stuff doesn't matter. It does. It can have a huge effect. But it's not the most important thing. When God wanted to bring his deliverer into this dark and corrupt world, he didn't send him on chariots as a conquering hero. He sent him on the path of humility, a manger, and an oft-looked-over town. Are you then walking on that same path? Let me encourage every one of you to just do some soul searching this week and ask yourself, am I growing in humility? If not, dig a little deeper. Why am I not growing in humility? You know, one of the things we'll talk about later, the, the ways to see what does that humility look like? It's willingness to lay down your preferences for the sake of somebody else. It's willing to take someone else's needs as more important than your own. I think that is harder to do the older you get. And yet, the older you get, the more mature in Christ you should get. And the more you should strive for that. Paul is saying that humility is a core component of being a Christian. It's kind of like the light bulb test to say, if Christ is connected to you, the humility light bulb should be on. Let's go a little deeper. Paul writes in verse two, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Now, when he says be like-minded, is Paul saying that the Philippians who he's writing to should be like-minded with one another or like-minded with Christ? Well, he's here first saying that the Philippians need to be like-minded with one another, be of one mind, you all. But what we'll see is the only way they can truly be like-minded is if they first take on the mind of Christ. Notice halfway through verse 5, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. So he's not saying just, you know, guys, act humble, do humble things when other people are watching, but it's deeper. 
have the mind of Christ. You know, what goes on in your mind is often, no one sees most of it except for you. And he's saying, that is the place where humility needs to shine. Not an appearance of humility, but a humility that is deep in your bones, a humility that filters through your thought life. So if you looked at your mind this last week, your thoughts, what would you see? Humility? Probably more likely you'd see a lot of selfish ambition and vain conceit, what Paul mentions in verse 3. And I would guess for most of us, myself included, even my acts of humility tend to be motivated more by selfish ambition or vanity than a deep humility in my bones, right? I will act humble and do humble things, but in my mind, it's not humble. It's wrapped up in, you know, look how humble I am. Selfish ambition and vain conceit. Well, what are these things? They're two related but distinct things. Vanity is when you're just really concerned about what others think of you. You're focused on an appearance of excellence. Selfish ambition is wanting to be the best, right? You, you say, I'm the smartest person in the room, or I'm the best performer at this. Selfish ambition is, you know, needing to get the prize because you're the top performer. Vanity is more like photoshopping your image so that you look better than what you really do. Selfish ambition, you're always seeing your worth in terms of your own performance. Uh, Rebecca DeYoung writes, our sense of being less worthy, talented, successful, or whatever. It is so rooted in our identity that when we don't have those things, when we don't feel worthy, we don't feel talented, we feel powerless because we believe that, well, if I was actually worth something, I could make myself better. And so when you don't do good, you immediately feel like you must be worthless. When you don't perform like you want to, what am I worth? What's the mindset of the person who struggles with selfish ambition? It's, I'm only as good as my last performance. Vanity is, though, kind of craving glory from others. Vanity is the photoshopping of yourself, making yourself look really good, the appearance, caring so much about what others think of you. Vanity can, can look vain, but it can also thrive inside the church where you can be so obsessed about trying to help others think you're a really good Christian. Look at all these things you've done for God or look how seriously you take your faith, though in your mind and in your heart, you're just as wrapped up in yourself as the person who's photoshopping all their images. You can be addicted to a false humility because of the recognition it brings you. One old Christian writer wrote, it's difficult to escape vainglory for what you do to rid yourself of it becomes a new source of vainglory, right? He's saying in your, in your strive to become humble, you do these extreme things and get rid of that pride and then you get proud about all the extreme things you did to become more humble. It's the humble brag. So what's your mindset when you struggle with vanity? It's I'm only as good as others see me. But here's the amazing thing. See, every one of us, why aren't we humble? It's because we want power. We want beauty. We want to be recognized. And what is amazing is God who has all those things, power and beauty, God who counts the stars and lists every one of them by name, God who has laid the foundations of the world and determined its dimensions. When it comes time for that God to make his appearance in the world as Jesus, he doesn't consider, quote, equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself 
nothing. It's why we have Christmas, because of God's humility. This brings us then to our second point, the humility of God. We're we're focusing on verses 5 to 8 next week, but I want to tie in some of these themes because they're all related. None of us are naturally humble. We are naturally wrapped up in ourselves in one way or another. We spend so much time thinking about ourselves. A common mistake is to think, well, humility is just thinking, you know, less of myself. I'm not that good. I'm not this or that. No, humility is not that. It's actually thinking of yourself less. Because the person, and some of you struggle with this, you spend all kinds of time thinking about how messed up you are, or how you aren't worth anything, or you have screwed this up, or this thing or that thing, and that's not humility. You're you're still completely obsessed with yourself. You're just obsessed about how bad you are versus the person who's obsessed with themselves for how good they are. But both things are a source of vanity, a source of ambition. True humility is just kind of taking yourself out of the picture sometimes, not worrying so much about yourself. So many of us, we're kind of like the Wizard of Oz. We we try to put on this, this public persona. We try to look a certain way, look at me, I'm successful, I'm big, I'm strong, I'm beautiful, whatever it is, I've got things under control. Just don't peek behind the curtain because there you'll see a person who's deeply scared of being found out for how weak you actually are. We spend so much time maintaining our image in front of others. But God was kind of like the reverse Wizard of Oz. He he was the one who had all power, all glory, all riches, and yet he chose to make his entrance into this world through a bloody birth canal. He came to save the world in a birth so ordinary you might miss it. This is the opposite of how we are. I want to make a grand entrance. If I just had more power, more money, more influence. We think of the the sad state of our country. We look at the violence that grips our world. And we tend to think, well, the answer to these things is more sanctions, more missiles, more laws, more money, more guns, more power, whatever it might be. But God's answer to the darkness and brokenness of this world starts with, Away in a manger, no crib for a bed, the little Lord Jesus laid down his sweet head. And this wasn't just some fad that Jesus thought up one day. You know, okay, I've spent eternity in heaven. Maybe I should go check something else out. Let me go see what it's like to live a human life. No, verse 5 tells us humility was Christ's mindset. He did not use his power to his own advantage, but he humbled himself, making himself nothing. This was not some trendy thing, you know, where like some wealthy kids who grew up in, with a silver spoon, they say, I want to get rid of all my parents' wealth and just go live a normal life. So they go, you know, move somewhere, try to get a job, but they've always know that if things get tough, well, they can just summon dad's jet and get back home and, and have everything taken care of. But Jesus came to earth on a one-way ticket And the only way that he could pay for a return flight was with his shed blood. The humility of God is at the very heart of who God is. And let that sink in as you think about who our God is. The God who has every reason to be proud, who is rightly exalted, 
That God in Jesus is humble in heart. Humility is God's answer to human power. The manger is God's response to king's thrones. A swaddling blanket is God's counter to a ruler's robes. Is that the God that you know? And why does God take this posture of humility for us? What, it's, it's amazing because there's nothing that we have to deserve it. He knows he's the most humble. And he looks at us and he sees how much we're trying to fake it. And if anything, we would be, if you were in his place, you would be the toughest person to be humble for. Because you see how hypocritical you are. But Jesus, God, loves hypocritical sinners like you and me. He looks through behind the curtain to see who you really are, to see all the things you're trying to hide, to see how screwed up your life is sometimes and how mixed up your heart is. And he says, I love that version of John. I love the real John. I'm going to be humble for him. Jesus didn't come down to earth to look at all the people that were winning and just make them bigger winners. He came down to those who were sinking deep into despair and tangled in sin and come right next to them when they feel their eyes are about to go dark and say, I love you and I've got you and I'm going to take you home. This is why Jesus can say in Matthew 11, come to me all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You, know, you can only find rest when you're in the presence of someone who knows you, and you don't feel like you keep having to put on an act. Are you trying to put on an act for God? God came, Jesus came in humility to shame the powerful, to show that human power is only a facade that will melt in the presence of God. God's humility is far stronger than human strength. Now, this doesn't mean that God is not exalted at the same time. It's kind of this dichotomy that God will not come as a conquering king with sword in hand. And that day is coming, and we will look at that in the last week. But you cannot jump over the manger and the cross and just get to the conquest. I mean, that's the human way. That's what's wrong with us. That's vanity and selfish ambition. We want to get rid of the manger, utter helplessness, and the cross, deep suffering and shame, and just take a shortcut on to glory. But there are no shortcuts to following Jesus in this world and experiencing his transforming power. The path, the only path, runs from a manger to a cross and only then to glory. And that means if you are following the way of Jesus, if you are with us on this journey to know Christ, you are on a path of humility that walks through a cross. And it will be hard, but it will be worth it in the end. So what path are you on? Are you afraid or even ashamed of a God who is humble, who looks so weak in human terms?
A lot of people were. That's why the religious people wanted Jesus killed as they got to know him. He wasn't the type of leader that they would cast their votes for. Or will this humility of God bring life to your numbed heart that's so tired of trying and you see that this humble Savior is actually the one that you need most? Will you embrace Jesus in his lowliness because you realize that despite your best efforts, we, you, us, we're all way more sinful than we want to admit? Does the shameful picture of Christ on the cross draw you to him because him in that ugliness you realize is actually a picture of you at your worst, but he's wearing it for you? Or would you rather find a savior that doesn't require you to admit your own weakness and instead is just focused on getting back at all the people that you don't like? And this brings us then to our third point, our humility. The incarnation, which that's the word that is used to describe Jesus becoming fully human, is a picture of God's heart for sinners. It's a picture of his humility, and it's the heart, the mind, the spirit that you, if you're a Christian here today, are called to take into a world that is grasping for power. Now, we tend to see humility as weakness. You think, well, if I'm humble, people are going to take advantage of me. Do I just give up all the comfort I have? Or does it mean I just need to stay in this really bad situation? Well, no, not necessarily. Humility isn't weakness. I think it's often our weakness that makes us afraid of being humble. Humility can't be weakness, though, because God chose that method through which he would usher his kingdom into the world. He chose the humility and shame of the cross to conquer the reign of evil. And now, as Christ's ambassadors, we are called to embrace humility and model it as the way of Jesus in this world. So what does that look like? One simple thing, back to verse 3. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. One commentator wrote, humility is a uniquely Christian virtue, which is centered on the message of a crucified Messiah and stands in utter contradiction to the values of the Roman world, which generally considered humility not a virtue, but a shortcoming. And it's into that culture that God chose to reveal Christ in humility. Notice how humility is tied back to verse 2. When we have the humility of Christ, we will be one in mind and spirit. How many churches have split and Christians have split in the end because of pride? And we don't put it that way. We often kind of clothe it in pious religious language. But underneath, I think so much of that is the pride of me wanting it this way instead of listening to someone else. Humility dissolves division. A humble church will be a united church. A humble church, just thinking of all the things that churches have struggled with and our culture has struggled with these past couple of years, what is it that will get a church through a time of division? It's humility. It's the humility 
to not just assume the worst about somebody else and the decision they made, right? Whatever that might be, whether it's to get vaccinated or not vaccinated, whatever it is, to recognize that they probably have good reasons for wanting to do that and be humble enough to find those instead of thinking the worst about them and why they did what they did. And this type of humility is going to be really hard for American Christians because it is so baked into our DNA that, my, well, it's a free country. I should do what I want. My preferences are my right. And instead of wanting to learn the path of humility and value others' interests above your own, you just say, it's my way or the highway. But that's not Christianity. Christianity is to listen to others and try to see others in the best possible light. And humility is not just thinking less of yourself. Notice here that humility is described as your, your, your look, the look of your mind, what you're thinking of, moving from yourself, your own interests, and shifting in verse 4 to the interests of others. It, it means that true humility is not always being wrapped up in what you want or why it's not the way you want it, but instead taking on and caring about what other people would want. This is different from thinking less of yourself. Well, I'm just no good. If humility is, thinking of all the, is simply thinking of all the wrong things about you, then Jesus could not have been humble because all those statements would be lies. He was pure. He was good. He was righteous. He was priceless. So humility isn't just thinking about how unworthy you are, but how does Paul describe humility here? Back to verse 6, laying down your privilege, your rights, your desires, your preference, your comfort, so that others can be welcomed in because you value them more than you value yourself. Christian maturity takes this ironic shape in that the more mature you are in Christ, the more you find yourself laying down your preferences and privilege for the sake of others, right? It's like a reverse pay scale where the higher up you get, the less you get. The higher up you go, the less you get. Because you know that Christ is all I need and I can love these people and not be so worried about myself. You know you have a false Christian maturity. And the longer you're a Christian, the more you study the more you find yourself thinking that I'm probably a better Christian than everybody else. Look how seriously I take these things. Look how many ideas I have about this stuff. Are you growing in humility? This is one of the first places that you can see that you're a Christian as you face difficulties in your own life, as you look at the darkness that blanks gets our world, as you struggle in your own heart, what are you putting your hope in? What are you looking to for salvation, for deliverance? Friends, this Christmas season, be reminded why we have Christmas. Because God's solution to human power and human evil is humility. And so as we sing these songs, as you picture baby Jesus in the manger, that's not just a thing for cozy memories and kid songs, but it's a view into the very heart of God, a God whose humility has become our healing. Let's pray. 
Our Father, we ask that you would make us humble at heart. We ask that you would so transform our mind that we would not just put on displays of humility, but actually in our bones, in our mind, in the deepest recesses of our heart, there would be humility. Please do this, God, we ask. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.